0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. That's nice when I get a response back. <laughs> I'm Steve Clark, and a very warm welcome. Warm welcome here to Brooklands this evening, and as ever, thank you for supporting the Trust, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest tonight um, is a long overdue addition to our motorsport legend, uh, but he's here this evening, and he's going to be in conversation. With Wayne, Wendy Amy. Will you please welcome Phil Reed?
1: Thank you, sir. There you go. Cute. What a gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Change. So, where's the champagne then, and The ice? You've got water. What we get is water here. Anyway, it's a great honour for me to be invited to this historic location here, at uh, uh, Brooklands, uh, which has incredible history. And and being having owned and built and flown various types of aircraft, I was very interested to <coughs> to read that uh, that the Hawker Hurricane was first flown here, was built and first flown here, um, which uh, was one of the aircraft that uh, had. More enemy kills than, say, the Spitfire, the uh, more famous Spitfire. So, um, <clears throat> and also during my racing years, when I was uh, uh, racing the Manx Nortons, the 350 and 500, I heard about this uh, this great tuner in Slough called Bill Lacey. And having checked his records, I found that before the beginning of the of the last war, he'd won five. Events here, um, the last one uh, an average speed of 108 miles an hour on, on a Norton. I think he must be running on methanol, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was he was great and did me some really fine tuning work to make my bikes fly to the extent that uh, I was occasionally beating Mike Hayward, Mike the bike, which uh, Stan Howard, the the multi millionaire owner of Oxford uh, motorcycles. Didn't like very much, and certainly uh, he saw how well my bikes were going and then got Bill Lacey to, uh, to work on Mike's bikes, and mine suddenly became slower, <laughs> and, uh, of course, and, and, and money talks. But, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> right, Phil,
2: sorry to interrupt. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is interesting, but... It never uh, <laughs> changes,
1: you know. Wendy, my longtime partner, <clears throat> Ex-racing driver, famous racing driver. Your
2: show, Phil, not mine. What? <laughs> this is yours. We're, it's all about you.
1: No, this, no. This
2: is you. This Just is to know Phil. where Sorry. she's come
1: from. I mean, okay. <laughs> she's ever, ever helpful.
2: <clears throat> right.
1: And, and will help. So. Yep. So you. Uh, oh yeah. My, books
2: and most of my yourself. regalia
1: that I brought for you, some souvenirs.
2: Right. Can we yeah. can we start at the very beginning, and um, really. yeah, who. Who or what inspired you to race bikes? To actually race bikes?
1: Well, actually, my father, when I was about 15, took me. My father was separated from my mother. He had an MSS fellow set, and he took me on the on the on the back of his bike up to Silverstone from Luton, and uh, we sat in the grandstand at uh, at Woodcott, and I watched the Jeff Duke and John Surtees and. I thought, "How ah, that's what I want to be. I want to be a racing motorcyclist. So uh, <clears throat> that, that was my, my first introduction. And, uh, and having had a motorcycle since I was well, 13 to uh, slide around my, uh, my mother's farm Ashfield uh, area, um, I sort of got the feeling of riding a bike, of sliding it around like a speedway rider. You know, it was a 250 matchless side valve, hand change. And I remember my mother, <coughs> who actually uh, went on her money honeymoon on, on two motorcycles with my father, of course, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and on these Aero Red Hunters. And she'd had her first motorcycling in 19... Uh, before the war. And imagine, it was, a, it was a belt drive, hand change, um, push drive, push start, um, new Hudson. Imagine uh, seeing a woman in 1923 pushing a motorcycle to start it and jumping on side saddle. I and mean, it must be quite amazing, and she was an amazing woman who really helped me in the beginning a lot, obviously financially. And with the freedom, this is after even after I'd written off a a new Triumph Bayflower. I'd rolled it on November the 5th, would you believe. That ended with a big bang that night. (laughs) Anyway, it was good enough to drive home. So I leaned it in the garage (laughs) and uh, she was pretty upset but still helped me financially and bought me a, a small A40 van to take my racing bikes around after my first ever race at Mallory Park of 13th of May, 1956, when she followed me up in my in her in the Triumph Mayflower with my tools and leathers and everything, and we pitched the tent in the paddock and uh, I raced and slid off at the hairpin and didn't make the final. And I put the lights back on and the silencer back on and we rode, rode I rode back to Luton. So that was really my first. Uh, First motorcycle event, quite historic, the first ever meeting at Mallory Park, and I didn't win this one. But uh,
2: what other bikes did you have at the very beginning? my
1: 350 Gold Star, uh, bought from Bert England's at, uh, at Dunstable, quite a famous name in motorcycling then, in the in, in the 50s. So, um, other
2: bikes that you rode at the very beginning?
1: Well, that that was it. I raced that for a couple of years and then. Then bought a a Jeff Duke BSA, which is a bit better. raced at Silverstone Saturday, um, and uh, and I'd caught up with the two two leaders, I think Lewis, John Lewis, and and uh, I forget the other rider. And it was a bit damp the circuit; it had been raining a bit. And I wondered why they were going so slow. <laughs> and I found out at Stowe, and it saw I me pitched me off, uh, and broke my wrist. So. Uh, Anyway, I learned a lot to, to ride it in damp conditions. So, uh, that's...
2: Right. Oh, sorry. Your first big success uh, was in the Isle of Man, of course, uh, winning the Junior TT in 1961. What did you think of the island and road racing in particular, uh, compared with circuits?
1: Well, I was young and, 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 uh, and pretty... Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty stupid at the time, and I used to race around on the roads. I'm lucky not to have uh, killed myself, but I, I took my Manx Norton, which I'd bought sort of secondhand from Pete Furbrash. The uh, he was a, a tail gunner during the war, and I was had stories that uh, when he travelled and raced around uh, the continent, he was frightened that he'd be recognised and attacked. <laughs> But uh, he, survived the, he survived the war. Anyway, I did the Manx Grand Prix in 19, uh, 1958, 59 uh, and 1960 when I had, with the help of uh, Jeff Murlock of, uh, of Esso Fuel, he gave me a bit of sponsorship enough to buy uh, one new bike. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> obviously I'd learned the circuit pretty well over there. Although, one time in, during the Manx, in my last year in the Manx Grand Prix or before I won it in 1960 at record speed, one of the, the chief marshals said to me, I've had reports, you're riding dangerously. Of course, I didn't take any notice of him, but I did win the race at record speed. And uh, so, uh, so that was good. But then, of course, you having no race to won the Manx Grand Prix, which was uh, on, the, on the mountain circuit. Um, it was not uh, recognised that you, you, you rode in again, so you progressed to the TT, where there was prize money, which was good. And uh, somehow it, I managed to win it with the junior TT. Uh, OK, Gary Hocking on the, on the MV was, uh, I think, second, because one of the Pistons uh, collapsed or he dropped a valve in, and on the last lap, I passed him in, in Ramsey, gave him the wave, and, and disappeared. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was quite thrilling. I remember <clears throat> just go, driving into the paddock and then walking up to speak to Murray Walker. And he said, well, well done, Phil. Uh, you've won. I said, have I really? I thought I was second, so I didn't realize I was, I, I was leading. Because, um, okay, all the public were waving on... On my last lap, I thought it was because I was second behind behind Mike, I would, who'd actually stopped earlier. Unfortunately, I think with a broken condor. Thank you, Bill Lacey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, he said, oh, so Phil, I see you're limping there. Why is that? I said, if you'd changed gear 5,000 times in the last two hours, you'd be limping. <laughs> anyway, I mean, Murray Walker, we all miss him. We like, uh, I, I listen to these. Well, the commentaries, OK, the Monaco Grand Prix commentaries are fine, but the Formula One is pretty useless, I think. With, with Murray there, it would be uh, much uh, more interesting and long live Murray.
2: Getting, getting back to bikes, um, you raced a Jalera also for Jeff Duke. Uh, what did you think of the team?
1: Yeah, and I was like the, the fill-in boy because I think he was sponsored by, uh, by Castrol to bring the Jaleras back. They hadn't been raced for for five or six years they were brought back and they put new tires on and they took off the full fairings and put on these Dolphin fairings and uh, not much else was done. Of course we were racing against Mike the bike, the great Mike Hayward on the MV that uh, had been developed over uh, those previous years. And uh, obviously I was the new boy because uh, Derek Minter had hurt himself and, and couldn't ride. So I was drafted in. Obviously, Jeff was earning extra money for the two riders as opposed to John Hartle. And uh, OK, I'd won the TT and I'd won a lot of um, short circuit races. But we went to the first Grand Prix. It was at Hockenheim when we only <clears throat> it was only eligible for 350s. And it was a long oval circuit. And I think the production 350 honors were lapping it at, at 10 seconds faster and I came into the, into the pits and stopped, and Duke came out to me and said, you're not changing gear properly, you know, <laughs> because I was lapping so slow. I said, I think it's the bike in actual fact. Anyway, we didn't have a happy time because the, I mean, the, 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 the 500 round the Isle of Man was, was a bit of a monster. And we found out why at the end of the year when Jephti went to Monza with a with Jalera fitted with Earl's Forks, um, they were the leading link forks at the front and uh, and one of the engineers came up to uh, to Jeff and said oh, I said you're having problem with handling, but when we were running the full the full fairings we 'd actually move the engine back um, five inches just to, <clears throat> to reduce the the loading on the front tire, which was wearing out now um, obviously Jeff realized why they weren 't handling I mean the, the front was too light the, the centre of gravity was too far back, and uh, this is why I, I felt most uh, most uncomfortable in the Isle of Man. You didn't know where it was going. So anyway, I survived that period.
2: And and then yes, of course. So how did the works Yamaha team ride? Uh,
1: oh yeah, when I was obviously in the Isle of Man, staying at the Douglas Bay Hotel. You that? Know, if anyone, I'm sure a lot of you know the Isle of Man, the Douglas Bay Hotel, up on the head. It was a real uh, a meeting place, shall we say, for various reasons, and for teams to stay. And uh, I think I was staying there, and also with the Yamaha team. And I got to, uh, to be talking and friendly with uh, Fumio Ito, the Japanese Yamaha rider. Anyway, we had a little laugh and a joke, and I think he, was, uh, he finished second or third in the TT that year. And I, I was third on the on the Juliera behind uh Of course Mike on the MV one. And uh John Harl was second. He was a bit of a lunatic, uh John Harrell But um was risk was risk a lot and fight the thing. Like I wasn't prepared to do because I know it, it hurts if you fall off at speed. <laughs> and uh and uh Anyway, at the end of the season, then I think we had a, one, one win with that, that year. We, we went to Scarborough with, with Derek Minter uh, and Hartle and, and myself on three Jaliras. And I actually won one of the races there, and that was the only race we won. So, um, so that was good. And um, a couple of weeks later, I got a telegram from Japan. Uh, uh, Phil's son, that's Mr. Phil. Phil. Uh, we telegram, have telegram, we didn't have emails then uh, would you would you like to race our machines in the first Japanese Grand Prix you know Yamaha, team manager and Mr. Nagayasu. and uh, my, answer, my answer back was yes please <laughs> so anyway I arrived in Japan I took the southern route round to Japan which was via, via Italy and India and Pakistan and and the Middle East and, and Hong Kong, and flying to Hong Kong. That was when they had you know, to fly between the skyscrapers, which was a quite quite uh, um, upsetting. Anyway, we eventually arrived at, at Hanover Airport. I was met by my uh, interpreter there, and he said, "First, so we check in hotel, and we go to uh, Hamamatsu, which is very near to the circuit, Suzuka." So we go by train. OK, fine. And this train, it was before the Taikota Express that does nearly 200 miles an hour. This thing was like a like a British secondary rail um, train. <clears throat> Did about 50 miles an hour, I think, 10 hours, I think, it took to uh, get to. it was so I was totally knackered. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> luckily, my hotel was next to the station. So all I want to do is, like, lie down and have a coffee and go, go to bed, had a shower and then looked out the window and next door to the hotel was a nightclub. I thought that looks interesting. <laughs> well, it was and uh, anyway, so uh, I had a bit of a boogie there and a few drinks and, uh, and, and the friends I met in, in, the, uh, in the club uh, kept me really fit and healthy for the, uh, for the week. So uh, I say no more, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, I'd never been to the circuit before and obviously I was on the other side of the world, the furthest I'd ever been in my life, and uh, I looked over the, the circuit and saw the Sea of Japan I thought, Johnny, I'm the other side of the world and I've obviously got to do well. Anyway, they loaned me a road bike to learn the circuit and then the race bike. And uh, we started the race, and uh, I was battling with Jim Redman, who was then fighting with uh, Bravini on the Marini for the World Championship. And obviously my teammate was there, uh, Fimo Ito, in the race anyway. With a few laps to go, I pulled out in, in the lead, and I got about a two-second lead on, on the last lap, and think, this is it, boy, we're going to win it. And then suddenly one of the plugs failed, and the bike slowed, and I finished third and Redmond won, and won the 250 World uh, Championship, which um, <clears throat> if a Yamaha told me, look, if you can't win, you must let Pravini pass you on, on, on his Marini. And if, if I'd have slowed down and let him pass me, <clears throat> the Marini would have won the World Championship. Now, that was lack of lateral thinking for Yamaha. So, uh, <clears throat> so I was upset about that, obviously for Yamaha as well. But um, anyway, <clears throat> that was good. I mean, I'd shown that I was no idiot and I could lead a race and possibly win with a good mechanical reliability. Anyway, I went back to the Chodokan Hotel in Amamatsu on, on this 10-hour slow train <coughs> and uh, hoping the next couple of days I'll be invited back to the factory and we could talk contracts for the next year. And uh, Sure enough, the, the, my interpreter came and said, Ah, oh, Phil, son, uh, we, we, we meet today at mid uh, and after lunch. And lunch um, on chopsticks. and <laughs> But difficult to learn when you've never eaten with chopsticks before. Anyway, I do love Japanese food. It's really most, most tasty. Anyway, we met in the big boardroom there. there were, the <clears throat> I was sat on, on this dais like this with my interpreter. And with the, with the chairman and the team manager and the other directors. Uh, Phil son uh, oh, Reed's son, Mr. Reed, uh, Gamina Sai, very sorry for your um, problem in Suzuka. We want you to race for us next year in the Grand Prix. How much you want? I thought, OK. But I've been <clears throat> told by Jim Redman and Frank Paris of the Suzuki team, at least the minimum I should ask for either. Asked for that figure, which at the time you could have bought a four-bedroom house and a, an acre of land uh, and still had change. So they went, ah, oh, Gaminas, I am damine here, but we only do five Grand Prix. I said, well, that's silly because there are seven more Grand prix, and I could win five and Honda could win the other seven and win World Championship. You loan me two bikes, two mechanics, and I do those other... other Grand Prix without the official team. Ah, so OK. Gamina said, OK, we talk tomorrow, so we met again the next day. And they said, we agree your proposal. So uh, I thought, wonderful. Plus, I've got this money as well. But I had to buy hire a mechanic, a driver, buy a van to collect the bikes that were being flown into Barcelona unload the boxes, and the first thing that, that the, the two Jap mechanics, or meet the Jap mechanics as well, uh, Seki-san and Suzuki-san, would you believe, which were great, could semi-speak a bit of English, and obviously they, they had had much experience of eating European food, and the first box they opened was a box of, of vitamins and some medicines, so <laughs> for breakfast they had all these medicines and pills, but, but they... Uh, they soon learned to enjoy uh, European food. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that was my start with, of Yamaha. So I was third in Barcelona. I never raced there before, Mujic Park. It was like racing around the side of a mountain. Um, Jim Redmond won, and I think Provini was second on the Marini. And then we went to the French Grand Prix at, at Clermont. And, uh, and I won there. I beat Redmond. So we then joined the, the team in the Isle of Man. I'd taken, obviously, my transporter with the two bikes in the back and to meet the full team in the Isle of Man. I was leading the World Championship, which is incredible. <laughs> so... Well,
2: sorry, how did, how did um, Bill Ivey come to, to be in the team?
1: Well, my teammate then from the, uh, in the official Grand Prix was, was the Canadian Mike Duff. And uh, he was great. Really fast rider, and obviously out to win the championship. But at the end of the first year, uh, at, at uh, I think the beginning of uh, '65, we were testing at Suzuka. He crashed and injured himself so much, and uh, that he he'd be th- months out of commission. So, uh, and the, the manager said to me, "Ah, oh, Phil, son, uh, can you recommend good rider?" And I went, "Yeah." I can recommend a good rider, he's good on 125s and 250s, even 500s. Was little Bill Ivy, five foot two, and uh, quite a furry little character. So he sa- they said, okay, can you call him? I went, yeah, okay. Um, so I called on my hotel phone and called his mum, and she said, oh no, Billy's at Brandsatch testing cars. So I said, okay, I'll call him at Brands. I called Brands and, uh, and spoke to the secretary. They said, oh, no, uh, Billy's out on the circuit testing. Uh, OK, well, tell him when you see him. Look, in an hour's time, I'll call him back. I'm calling from Japan. So it's a very important message. <clears throat> anyway, my voice is going. I'll do it. Carry on. I'll
2: do
1: it. I'll do it. I can do it. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Help yourself. Yep, thanks. <laughs> I got him on the phone, and uh, I said, Hi, Billy, how are you? Are you all right, mate? Uh, um, I said, it's Phil calling from Japan. Yamahas would like you to uh, race their their bikes in in the Grand Prix over here. Uh, I said, can you get yourself over here? And and, uh, they'll obviously pay your expenses. He went, oh, effing hell, I've got no passport. (laughs) I said, well, get yourself a passport and get on the next plane and get over here. But, um, yeah, he performed very really well. Until, uh, yeah, well, not until, but all the time, especially in the Isle of Man. He was, a, he was a rocket ship bouncing off the walls and scraping the fairings and scraping his hand and knee and what have you. And uh, I think he was the first uh, rider to, to lap there at over 100 miles an hour. I think I was... Uh, I was two seconds behind him for the best lap, my best lap on a 125. Me on a 125 compared with Bill, five foot two, obviously he had a power-to-weight ratio advantage, also streamlining, because he could tuck in behind the fairing much better. And uh, anyway, so uh, 67 season, I didn't, I wasn't so happy with the 250, and I think. Uh, I won a few races, and, and Bill was beating me. Or, and somehow he he, he got to, he persuaded the uh, the team manager and, the, and their group to uh, to allow him to force me to ride to orders in that next season, in '68. So he could win the 250. I think he'd won the 125. So as he was sharing a flat with Mike Aldenest, and Heston, uh, he wanted to be more than 125 world champion. 250 was the next next stage up. Um, although 125s are the most difficult bike to ride because you know you, were, you had little feel to them. You were you know swooping round a corner. Suddenly the the front would go. But um, obviously uh, we weren't into knee sliders then and elbow sliders like they do now. Um, so anyway. Um, I heard in the parrot that that Bill could beat Phil Reed, and he's going to win the 250 World Championship. Although uh, they still had the Honda 6 to beat and I think Mike Howard had stopped then. And we had um, Ralph Bryans and uh, the late Ralph Bryans and late Luigi Taveri to battle against. Of course, in East Germany uh, and Czechoslovakia, we had the MZs, which somehow went 10 miles an hour quicker on the Eastern Bloc remember we were in a communist country then, with strict um, visa controls and uh, anyway I would heard that Bill was, uh, was going to easily beat Phil Reed in the 250 World Championship so we got to the line and uh, I said to Bill, I said if you want to win this championship and win this race you're going to have to beat me, he said oh effing hell, you know, I said well too bad, anyway I won the race and Bill was second about 10 seconds behind just beating the, one of the MZs and uh, I stopped at the end of the pits um, which was a long pit and all the press and mechanics gathered around as, as Bill arrived and he would say you bastard Reed, you should have let me win you, you've ridden against team orders went, so everyone knew that if I'd have let him win and if in the, throughout the season if I'd let him win I was running to order. That would have been no prestige for Bill.
2: Can so. I just can I just interrupt there? I'm sure everyone would like to hear the sound of the Yamaha. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, shall we, it's, shall a,
1: we it's a great sound. The, sound of
2: the Yamaha.
1: <coughs> That's a four-cylinder, I think, isn't it?
0: Um. The fiercest battle of an exciting week was the three lap one two five CC race with one thousand nine hundred and sixty six winner Bill Ivy dogged by plug trouble. It was left to teammate Phil Reed to tackle Stuart Graham and the ten speed Suzuki twin who led at Ramsey. In climb, reads Yamaha 4, pulled back three seconds to lead by 1.4 seconds at the end of the lap. Here he rushes along Quarterbridge Road on lap two.
1: At the approach to Bradton Bridge, first steers Graham.
0: Microphones to Glenn Traman, just 21 miles out, and an interesting series of fast sweeping
1: bends. First, Stuart Graham. And then Phil Reed.
0: Reed won by 3.4 seconds and had this to say about
1: the race: A reasonably um, not too hectic uh, first lap, and, uh, and then I got a signal on the uh, on the, the start of the second lap that I was. Uh, minus one second, I think. and oh, I, I couldn't believe this, so I thought, oh, you know, we must uh, get our finger out a bit. <laughs> so I went a bit quicker, and I had a signal at the end of the second lap that I was minus four seconds. And I, and I couldn't believe this. I thought, well, oh, Stuart really must be on his way. <laughs> and I had to ride like a maniac in the, uh, in the last lap just to, just to beat him. That's a fantastic rider, Stewart. Oh, indeed. <laughs>
2: now... You then, after that, you you had to be a privateer. Why was that?
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> what jan weren't telling me uh, at the end of the 68 season, after I'd won the, not only won the 125 World Championship, but the 250 as well, against Bill Ivey, who we weren't talking to at the moment, that <laughs> um, they'd actually, they're actually pulling out of the Grand Prix racing. So... Uh, and, and, and producing these production races which was a fantastic move for the uh, majority of of the paddock, because you know they were really really quick they could a good 350 could beat a 350 mv and and the other italian bikes so um yamaha agreed to uh, to to sell me or send me two two bikes over to england and uh with the help of Ferry Brower, we prepared these two bikes and uh, I raced, in in that season I only raced, I raced on British circuits and then just did one Grand Prix um, at Imola. And uh, (coughs) Agostini wasn't there, which was good. (laughs) Anyway, as it happened, uh, I had a I was I was leading the uh, the 250 race, and uh, the exhaust pipe dropped off, and I was signalling stop stop, and I pulled into the pits and, and Ferry Brow wound some wire around it that he cut from the fence behind the paddock, and uh, and I really scratched around and, and and got into second place with uh, with lead, leading on the last lap, and. Uh, Typical Italian, he'd, he thought he won. The crowd were waving and he waved and he actually fell off on the grass and I won. <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. And uh, another race, um, <clears throat> 350 race. I think that was a 350 race, The 250 race. I also won, but uh, against Kel Carruthers, who uh, ride the, the, the Benelli four, um, which uh, they'd me one in the Isle of Man, uh, which was pretty slow compared with uh, Kel Carruthers because Kel was uh, battling for the 250 World Championship. And uh, and it broke. I think the gearbox was, I mean, broke or cams broke. And uh, they blamed me for it and wouldn't pay. So I was really upset about that. So um, they came to me in the panic because my practice time, I think I was on pole ahead of Kel Carruthers on the Benelli. And they said oh, um, uh, uh, excuse me, Phil uh, you like to ride a uh, uh, machine in the race very f- one of the best bikes I went no thank you I have a four cylinder Yamaha coming from uh, Japan tomorrow oh damn it, eh <laughs> anyway we got these two spare exhausts and uh, uh, made my <clears throat> twin cylinder 250 look like a four <laughs> and uh, with some covers over it we wheeled it wheeled it past the uh, <clears throat> past the the italian's pit and they went oh damn it eh? uh, and, and they were quite amazed but anyway i had a battle with on the t- my twin cylinder during the the race and uh, and just just beat uh, Kel by about a yard obviously and that was the only Dick grand prix i did that year so uh, um that um, obviously I was then. Really, <coughs> I just moved home down to uh, to Opshod in Surrey with my then late wife, and uh <coughs> and, uh, and getting organised with a proper garage and machine tools and lathes and what have you to run into a full season the next year.
2: Well, you you won four 250ccs, one 125cc world championships. So how did the MV materialise?
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> in that in that year, I think it was in 1972. Uh, um, was it 72? Um, yeah, 73. Was it 73? 70,
2: yeah.
1: 72, I think.
2: Well, you um, were, you were on a jump. You had John Player Norton. That I was racing, racing with
1: John Player Norton's, oh. yeah, and, right, and racing my 250 and 350 private Yamahas. Uh, and we at this French circuit at Clermont-Ferrand. And uh, my 350 had blown up, which I was going to run in the 500 race with Agostini and some of the other top Italians on, on jet bikes. Or not on, on Italian-made bikes, the Benelli's and the Marines and the Kajeevas. And, uh, and, and anyway, because we were a bit hand to mouth there, you, you've got start money. And uh, appearance money. So I know 350 to run in, in the 500 race, but but a 250 was was banned illegal. But uh, if I didn't start the race, I wouldn't get my start money. So and it was a bit damp the circuit. And anyway, the race started and, and Agger was on the on the MV, and uh, I passed ago and actually pulled away from him, and because the the, the the 250 MV was a little nimble machine and uh, not so difficult to ride as the MV or I, I was super brave. Anyway, after leading for about 10 laps, I, I, I retired purposely because after the race my machine would be expected, inspected and, and I'd be disqualified, I wouldn't get my appearance money. Anyway, I walked back past the, up past the, the pits and there leaning over the pit walls. Pino Alievi from the Gazzetta dello Sport, the Italian sports uh, paper. And I said, "Hey, Pino, uh, tell Count Augusta that if he wants a support Rider to help Agostini, give me a call." And uh, on the Monday, he did give my office a call, and uh, I got the message. And uh, he said, "Come to Italy." So I w- went to Italy. I took my, uh, my wife, and we had uh, I think I think we had a. I forget what we had then Rolls-Royce and the that's right. The Cloud II, Rolls-Royce. And the caravan. I mean, what, sac- <laughs> what sacrilege, you know. <laughs> I'd have the tow bar specially made to, to fit in a Rolls and they never <clears throat> they never they never made one before for a Rolls, but <laughs> but the advantage was they the organizers got word that I was running this Rolls-Royce around. So in the paddock they they marked a place Phil Reed, Rolls Royce Reserve. <laughs> and that was that was good, but anyway, we drove to Lake Verazi, which was near the Envia factory, and and that that coming weekend, I had to uh, to race at Cadwell Park on the John Player Nortons. So and obviously I called the factory and said, I'm sorry, I cannot come um, and see you until. Uh, after this next weekend so I left uh, my wife and I think we had a son then Well, us we had young Michael Reed. Mike Reed, who is uh, now a, was a, a tornado <coughs> transpired to be become a RAF tornado pilot now he's first senior officer for Cathay Pacific which is terrific anyway <clears throat> left him by the lake in the caravan with money and I flew off to Cadwell and raced and then flew back and then on the uh, on the Wednesday, we uh, we drove to uh, to the MV factory and I had a meeting with Count Augusta. And uh, he said, "I'd like you to do two uh, two tests at Monza and Modena." So after the tests, obviously, he had a word with Ottoromani, the late Arturo Ottoromani, the the team manager. And I was signed up. So that was.
2: And and did you prefer the bigger bikes? How how did you? Was competing with
1: well, yeah. I mean, if I crashed them, I didn't have to repair them. And
2: what a, what about um, racing with Agostini? Did that was that good? Bad? Well,
1: I think don't think Agostini was too happy about me having me on board. And uh, and I think uh, that's right. I just raced the 350 MV, although I'd raced the Jolera 500 my makes Norton 500s because they thought the 500 would be a bit too powerful for me. So uh, the next year, I had both bikes. Oh, that's right. At the end of that year, I, I took, they, they allowed me to have the 500 to race at Silverstone, the, the Hudson 100. And I, I won the race there and broke the lap record. And they thought, oh, he can ride a 500. That's good. And uh, so next year, I had the 350 and the 500. And uh, I battled with Agostini, and uh, I happened to win it, win the championship and he was very upset and unhappy about that. And uh, so I think he uh, spoke to Yamaha. I think I did Agostini a favor because the next year he'd uh, got a contract with Yamaha paying him probably 10 times more money and uh, on a much more competitive bike. So...
2: uh, Which bikes did you prefer racing? 250s? The winners. No, Well, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But did you
2: like the smaller, the 250s or the 500s, or which, which did you prefer?
1: Well, I say the, the most competitive, the 250 uh, four-cylinder, Yamaha, and, and the 500 MV four-cylinder, which I, I'd uh, actually help them, somewhere they're a bit, uh, a bit to, what's the word, lack of lateral thinking, because the, the Japanese bikes were getting more competitive and more powerful and the MV was about the same. OK, the, the, the four-cylinder was producing about 20 more horsepower than the three-cylinder, um, developing about 101 horsepower. And the Jap bikes were, were about 120, but they didn't have the same torque. Um.
2: Can, can I just interrupt? Shall we just listen to the sound of the MV? I think everyone would be quite interested to hear yeah. that. So. <laughs> I think I prefer that sound to the Yamaha. Don't
1: yeah, you? that's uh, that's more a sound. Yeah.
2: In all your years um, of racing, who did you most admire and maybe even revere as a competitor?
1: Well, I think Mike the Bike was my uh, my hero really, and my challenge was to try and beat him wherever I could. But um, win or lose, we all had we had lots of fun in the paddock and afterwards, and put plenty down and uh, chased the girls and. Uh, he was good fun to uh, be with. I know at Mallory Park, he, he'd organise a, um, like a, a group to come and uh, play for us in the clubhouse there. And uh, we had a bit of a boogie there, and it was really good. It was uh, not Ackerbilk, one of the famous groups. Anyone remember? Kenny Ball. Kenny
2: ball. Who? Kenny Ball, yeah, probably. Kenny, Kenny, ball, Kenny ball. Kenny
1: Ball. Kenny Ball. Ball, yeah. Well done. And that was incredible, and obviously he paid pay for that. I mean, they weren't cheap. These groups. Um, I mean, now, I mean, you, for a top group, you, you probably have to pay to pay millions. But anyway, Mike was generous and laid on the booze and the and the group and what have you, and it was great. Yeah, he was a he was the uh,
2: Bees knees,
1: the real friend, and I know he he, um, he he called in to stay with me once in in Surrey and uh, was quite a down-to-earth, funny, intelligent, multilingual, musical person. I mean, his talents really were shown on the circuits, and uh, uh, he was almost unbeatable, unless you had a quicker machine, or you had problems.
2: (coughs) You you last raced in Grand Prix's on a Suzuki and competed against uh, the ever-popular Barry Sheen. Um, although this may be slightly controversial, how did you regard him as a racer on the racetrack? No, nothing personal.
1: Yeah, well, Barry was a great racer, a great exhibitionist, and uh, we read in the press for six months whether he was going to lose his finger or not after a crash, you know. And everywhere he'd... Uh, obviously, <coughs> he'd be talking to the press, and uh, um, his extrovert uh, um, behaviour with the opposite sex was... Uh, was pretty well known and uh, uh, and the things he got up to obviously made him famous because he, he was I understand calling the press every every other day and uh, and keep uh, getting his name and picture in the uh, in, in in the press Yeah in,
2: in but what did media. you think about him as actually a, r- a rider on the tracks
1: Well yeah I thought um, yeah well, he was really good and uh, but like could beat him well. and Okay. <laughs> which I did a number of times. Right, you uh, went, you and went. The last Grand Prix, can I say, the last Grand Prix I did in, in, in on private Suzuki's, my RG five hundred, which um, well, obviously I prepared, was at, uh, at Mugello, a lovely circuit. I got a bad start, a bad start. I mean, almost last away. Agostini and Sheen sort of went off. Aga had a Suzuki, and Sheen was on the factory Suzuki. Uh, which was, was was virtually the quickest bike there because they were obviously, I mean, 20 horsepower more than a production Suzuki. Um, anyway, I went through the field. And, um, a lot of riders that, that that became famous and caught up with these two, and they were battling together, Ago and Sheen. And I I passed Ago and caught up with Sheen, and then passed Sheen, and then. We pulled away from Ago, and, and for the last um, ten laps we swapped places. And uh, coming into the last corner, I think I made the mistake. I outbrake Barry, and and uh, I knew his bike was quicker than mine, and I rode down the, the white line so he couldn't slipstream me, and uh, and he pipped me across the line by like a hundredth of a second. Which I've said about because I should have perhaps followed him around the corner, slipstreaming, and passed him on the line, um, which he didn't need to do because he had more, more speed than me. But anyway, we were in Finland, and uh, Barry, this was um, when I was riding EMVs, he was on the factory Suzuki, and uh, that was the fastest. I think he was on pole, uh, and I was second, and Aga was third on the Yamaha. And, uh, and Barry was a mate of mine, we spent a lot of time at my house in, in Okshaw. You know, we'd bring doctors and medicines and massage for him and, uh, and feed him and take his bikes around and I'd bring him back on the, the planes in, in, on crutches or a wheelchair, because he'd crash a lot. Anyway, we were very close and I said, look Barry, my world championship on the on the MV Augusta depends on winning this race. Your your potential you've got the, the fastest bike. And if I'm with you and Angus like five seconds behind, um let me win. He went, okay, mate, no problem. Because it didn't matter to Suzuki that that it was worse for Suzuki that, that Yamaha won the championship than, than MV Augusta, because MV Augusta was their, their production uh, figures were a fraction of Suzuki and Yamaha. He went, OK, mate, no problem. So just before the race, he came and I said, look, I've been told I've got to win, so uh, sorry, I can't help you. I said, OK, I was upset about that. Um, so we started the race, and I was leading, and John franco my teammate on the MV, was, was behind, and we were virtually in, in in convoy, and Aga was five seconds behind. So, three laps to go, and am going down the back straight, well, the ignition killed itself. So, and I pulled in actually where my late wife was signaling with one of the mechanics, I said, well, it doesn't matter, because if Venera can win, stop Agassini winning and changing a win for third place, which you could then. It, it wasn't gross points, it was the it was the the best <clears throat> the best of seven results, I think. So you didn't it wasn't the gross point. So you could then if you if you'd had a, a second or a third and had a win and it was your eighth win, you could swap that eighth win for a for a third place. So <clears throat> okay. Venera got the, the signal first, plus five. Obviously on Agostini. And he crashed, didn't he, on that last lap. And Agostini won. And it cost me the world championship. That's terrible.
2: <laughs> you went back to the Isle of Man in 1977
1: and won... No, it cost me my third 500 world championship.
2: Oh, yes, okay, definitely.
1: That's how okay. right.
2: Um, and uh, won the Formula One TT on a Honda. And then in 1978, Mike Hailwood made his big return to the island. Um, How did you feel about that?
1: Well, yeah, after winning the 77 TT, I mean, it was, the first half a lap was was dry. After that for four laps, it absolutely, team pissed down with rain. I mean, it was was incredible, absolutely incredible. You know, I I was going over the mountain and and the water was on my visor inside as well and I tried to click it open to wipe it away and, and it clicked off so I, I had to sort of take my both hands off the bar and click it back on again and put it down and finish the race. And uh, and, and I won it by about 20 seconds, but at uh, an average of about 100 miles an hour, and this is in torrential rain. So, I mean, Mike's in New Zealand there, and he reads about Phil Reed winning the Formula One World Championship TT. He thought, "So well, I want some of that. And uh, he got... Um, Help from Ducati and, and Steve, I've forgotten his name now. Winn. Steve Wynn. No. Oh. No, didn't remember who, who Mike. Um... Steve Win. Win. Steve Win.
2: Wynn.
1: Win. yeah, Steve, Steve Wynn, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: That's right. Steve Wynn. To help him prepare a. What? Sports side That's right, yeah. Steve Wynn. To help him prepare this Ducati. Um. And I think, okay, I think Ducati gave, gave Michael Steve the, uh, the bike repair, and uh, they obviously did a fantastic job because I, I've, I'm lapping at 100, in practice, about 111, 112 miles an hour and I'm in the paddock, and then it comes over the loudspeaker that Mike's lapped at 113 miles an hour in practice. I think, oh, bloody hell. And he's <laughs> he starting behind me in the, in, in the race the next day. Anyway, on the second lap at uh, Ramsey, he's 40 seconds behind, he's caught me up on the second lap at Ramsey. And I hear this, this twin oh, behind, I thought, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> so I think he passed me, and uh, anyway, for the next two and a half laps, we we passed and repassed. We pitted together, refuelled together, went off together on the last lap, and I'm tucked behind him down, cronky body straight, and... Uh, <clears throat> trying to actually repass him, but I know I know I, I can't catch up. Well, the 40 seconds, he's, 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 on, he's ahead of me on, on time. And uh, But anyway, I thought it'd be interesting for the public to see us close together, which I think it was. And then we tuck behind him, and suddenly, boof, my all-cooler explodes and covers me in all. Anyway, I coast to a stop and fling the bike in the, in the hedge. And sit there listening to Mike go through, like <clears throat> Ramsey and uh, the bungalow and the uh, signpost, and and uh, and coming up to the uh, Glen Country Road to the to the finish, and uh, and everyone cheers and I'm cheers a big lump to my throat. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to Mike. It's, it's brilliant after 11 years of not racing in the TT. He's come back and he's won. Obviously a, I think, at obviously, at a better speed than I did the previously, of course, when I was in the wet, we were in the dry. And uh, anyway, I got a lift back, covered, still covered in ore. I of the bike, we left it there. And uh, actually, it, it, the, the problem was, one of the so-called, so-called uh, experienced mechanics, an old boy, hadn't rubber-mounted the ore the cooler. And it was fixed on, on, on the, on the uh, framework, and uh, the union had actually fractured and, and split and, and caused me to retire. Which, good or bad, it was probably in, in the long run it was it was it was good. That it happened because I later heard from Steve Wynne that coming up the Glen road to the finish, Mike's engine broke, never to run again. And if I. If I'd have been with him on that last half a lap, he'd have been obviously riding faster, revving it more, and it would have broken a mile before the finish. And I'd have been the most unpopular TT winner ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that would be true because I mean it's unbelievable the the, the extra people that Mike um, attracted to the island.
2: Did, did you prefer? Did you prefer? Sir, you never answered that question. Did you prefer road racing? To, or circuit racing
1: well I didn't mind then but um, I mean the TT was uh, on a two stroke which they were prone to seizure um, I wasn't so, so happy but half, more than half of the Grand Prix are held on road circuits anyway but yeah an and actual fact it was more demanding and, and challenging and interesting to run on the road circuits mm. I remember going back to uh, you know, I'd won a few times at Saxon Ring, and then going back there to, to run on the on the new circuit, and after a few laps I was bored. So in my in my hard car, I then drove around the old circuit, which went through the town, and uh, you know, kicking yourself off the off the curbs and walls, and out into the country, and yeah, it was really good.
2: You've had a, a very successful career racing bikes. But I understand you were offered a test drive with a Formula One team, could you... Oh, yeah, with answer? Ken
1: Terrell, who was based in the, in the wood yard, not far from here. Now, I went to see him once, I know, for what, for some technical help. And we obviously got on well. I mean, he was a brilliant engineer and, 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 and uh, enabled uh, Jackie Stewart, I think, and, uh, and the other French ride driver. Um, does anyone remember the French rider driver? Who?
2: François Severe. François François oui.
1: Yeah, who? François Severe, who I'd actually met at the Ducati factory, because we were warming the, this uh, this five hundred twin up t- with a chassis, um, with a Seely chassis, and he was passing and heard it and came in, and was was overawed by all the the engineering and uh, and uh, the fact that. I was there and I going to race this this new uh, Ducati Twin, 500 Twin, not a Desmo. But how
2: and, did you get
1: on and, the uh, F1? He, he, he drove the the tour for, for Ken. And, so, and Ken said, well, would you like to try a, a Formula car? And I said, yes, please. He said, OK, I'll arrange it. And he'd arranged it and arra- called the BBC to come and film it, either me spinning off, killing myself or... Or breaking the lap record, but anyway, and uh, Jerry Burrell, I think, was the Mm, was the was the pace drop rider driver. Anyway, they got me in this car, and I I didn't feel comfortable in it. The the steering wheel was too far away. I needed packing, and anyway, he said, "Well, just go around." And I did about tour of ten laps, and uh, and uh, came in. We talked, and we made a few adjustments, and. Went out. Bill went out again, and I think lap two seconds quicker, which was okay with me because I didn't really feel comfortable to uh, to drive it on the limit. And uh, anyway, Ken said to me after. He said, "Well, Paul, well I'm Phil. You've survived, even though you it didn't you didn't fit and feel very comfortable there. But when these uh, future team teams call you." Um, Call me and I'll tell you who not to drive for, <laughs> which is good advice. So, but it didn't progress anymore because two weeks later I'd signed for MV Augusta. So they're, they're, and they there, and they were paying, well, not bad money, not the best. But after I, I on the final year, um, Suzuki year, team were paying their riders a, a million, 10 times more than I was getting from MV. So I felt I felt really upset about that. With uh, Gustav, for example, he owned he owned property in Portofino. He owned flats, apartments in uh, in Milan, um, chalets in in Moritz, and where I, I uh,
2: yeah, but he couldn't ride a bike. No. So you know no, he could make
1: a lot of money, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> right. You're still um, you're uh, st- wait
1: a minute. I'm finished oh, yet. Oh,
2: sorry. <laughs> sorry.
1: <laughs> and was then married to a beautiful wife. So you or uh, him? I remember once I was in St. Moritz uh, skiing with my family and uh, was invited well, at the same time as uh, Count Augusta, Domenico Augusta, not Domenico, I've forgotten his first name now. Anyway, Count Augusta was there with his entourage, and, uh, and I'd actually introduced my ski instructor, who oh, I didn't pay, um, to Count Augusta, so he became Count Augusta's ski instructor. He was really good. Um, anyway, I was invited to the, the suite, suite Privé in one of the most expensive hotels, or the most expensive hotel, and we had a little gathering, about 10 of us there, with the, uh, Count Augusta's entourage and myself and my wife and, uh, and other team managers and people. Anyway, I saw this big bowl on a table there, and the Italians were scooping things up. I said, "What's that caviar? It must have been ten thousand pounds of a bowl of caviar, Beluga caviar, of course, from from Russia." So that that's how the other half live. And the counter taken on the the, the sweet privé, which was one side of the of the hotel. Which um, there's money for you. No, anyway, so.
2: Well, I was just going to say, you're still riding and appearing at events worldwide. Do you still want to be competitive, and uh, or does being old frustrate you?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it does in a way, because uh, I don't want to rush motorcycles. Look, I've raced bikes for over 60 years. Race bikes have ridden fast bikes, and I'm here in really good condition. I've only broken two collarbones, which helped, actually to decrease the wind resistance. <laughs> it gave me 300 more revs. A, a shoulder blade, four ribs, a, a pelvis, a wrist, and, and a finger, and a few concussions, and I'm here in, in, in reasonable condition. Uh, I'm very grateful, and I don't, want to, I don't want to. My old age, too, when I was... I was 80 on uh, the 1st of January.
2: You're not that old, though, because a couple of years ago um, you actually raced or, or demonstrated an R1, didn't you?
1: Oh Yamaha. yes, they, <coughs> the Yamaha team brought an R1. This is one of um,
2: one of Valentino's
1: um, spare bikes to to Imler. and they allow me, you can, Phil's, Phil's you can have uh, three laps. No, and bloody hell, it was 250 horsepower. And I, the fastest bike I'd ever ridden only got about 120. And, uh, and it, it got traction control and anti wheelie control on it. But they turned it off. <laughs> Thank you. I thought they wanted me to, to kill myself. Anyway, accelerating away, I mean, the thing would lift up in the wheelie only at, at about 14,000. And so I had to keep changing up, uh, short shifting, in other words, and not take it to uh, the 18,000 it would normally rev at. And uh, <clears throat> I didn't feel happy around the corner anyway. So, so that was good. So <laughs> so I'm coming into the chicane by the pits and the wall watching. I left it a bit late, didn't I? And uh, although I thought, shit, I've, I've overrun here. I'm going to crash, sure. And I kept the brake on, and I didn't realize how good the brakes were just one finger and it was stopping and I managed to get through the chicane and wheelie away it was quite impressive there (laughs) but useless around the back Um, yeah that was I mean I need a week anyone would need a week to get within uh, two seconds of uh, uh, Giacomo's not Giacomo Valentino's time or competitive time because to learn to I mean, now, for example, we didn't have slick tyres then, we didn't have traction control, we didn't have wheelie control, but now the standard of riding is so high in the Grand Prixs with slick tyres I mean, uh, and uh, traction control and and, and, and slipper clutches that the, the riders now, they're braking at the last minute and turning into the corner with the brakes on and, and and if the if the front slides, they this is why they've got these knee sliders. They push the knee down and keep the power on, and and turn it on and power slightly out of the corners. I mean, it's quite incredible to watch. But we didn't have that then in my day, and, and I'm not prepared to, uh, to to ride to that standard now. <laughs> and, and damage a, multi, a million pound motorbike. But um, now I've got. Every admiration for the current riders. I mean, now the top 10 riders are within oh, within tenths of a second of their lap times in qualifying. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable mm-hmm. how close they are. I mean, to be in tenth, you think, or at least tenth, funny how he's in within that four tenths of a second of the poleman, which is still makes them pretty fantastic.
2: You still enjoy going to, doing your uh, round the world trips, so demonstrating?
1: Oh, yeah, we, we got invited to Canada, didn't we? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I rode a, what was it, a 250 or 350 Yamaha, which had incredible thing on, on the mudguard. It had an incredible thing there. It was like a fairing. It was like a, a bit of a mudguard there. And I said to the owner, I said, what's that? And he said, oh, that, that gives me another, another 500 rows. I said, it's unbelievable. Anyway, I rode it around. It was a terrific bike. And uh, only led us to about three or four laps. But, um, yeah, uh, and, and I, we went back to the county it was, it was to uh, celebrate the 50th anniversary of, the, uh, of their first and last Mulder Grand Prix, which I rode in. And uh, I think I finished second in it. And I think Bill Ivey won and Mike Howard won the other round, but I was the only one alive. And with, with Rodney Gould as well came there. And who else?
2: I'm just looking at um, Goodwood. Oh, yeah. So, but those are the events you really enjoy, aren't they?
1: Oh, good. Well, it's incredible. You're rubbing shoulders with, you know, the Formula One drivers and, uh, and, and, and well, obviously people like Valentino and Kenny Roberts and...
2: Uh, oh, look, and that's the... Oh, you missed the... Ago, but But there was a picture of um, Marco Marquez earlier on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was... Oh, there he is, yeah. I, I was the, the person to uh, award... Um, this this lunatic, <laughs> <Lazy>. <laughs> his his first uh, gold medal for his world championship gold medal, and I said to him on stage, I said, look, you've crashed 15 times this year, you know, I, you know your luck hasn't got a, you won't last. He went, no, no problem. It seems that he's got rubber rubber bones and Lazy. and uh, and can crash at 200 miles an hour and and, and get up and ride the next next hour yeah he's incredible he, He's, I think he's unbeatable his mastery of the bike is quite incredible the, the feel as it dancing into corners and sliding and uh, and does other things that other riders can't or aren't prepared to do but um, yeah he's even even against the extra speed that the Deccanis got uh, De Vizioso um, if he can't usually we see from an exciting race if you're be watching, because Davizioso Dovi as we call him, uh, has pulled out about a half a second lead and come the last corner. and um, Narquez will da brake and dash up the inside uh, and run a bit wide and Dovi, as cool as ever, will outpower him to the line by wow. the half a second, what?
2: I was going to say you, you you can't stop talking about bikes, can you? You love them so much. I'm on. Do you know what this is?
1: Is it one of mine?
2: Yeah. Now, Steve, I've forgotten. I've forgotten what it said. Can you can you remind me, or oh, is it on here? It's on there there. Uh, uh, But I need my I need a magnifying glass actually to read that. 1960 something was it from? Who's that from? You, can you read it, please?
1: The winner of the Rothmans Race of the Year,
2: international. Right. you It's like a mean, Mallory Park, One
1: 1963, you. yeah. Is it really?
2: Like, yeah, there you go.
1: Where's that come from? Did I Deli- sell Deli- this? No, no. <laughs> Well, my name should be on that.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, Luke. <laughs> He's an Irishman. Yeah. say no more <laughs> no I love the Irish
1: so wonderful. No, well I I sold all my trophies to a, a, a person who had got a few bob I mean to, <clears throat> to help my boys racing you know which uh, um, which I know my mother helped me with funding and I helped them as well so I didn't have a spare £20,000 which I fell into them with bikes and Transporters and,
2: and as he's so poor, we're selling we're selling books <laughs> and regalia.
1: <laughs> so,
2: anyway, I do, I do, is it time for questions? Right,
0: ladies and gentlemen, Phil Reed. And thank you, Wendy, for. Controlling him. <laughs> right. I think we could have gone on for another couple of hours. Well,
2: that's what I was worried
0: about. No, you've done fine. <laughs> um, I'm sure, ladies and gentlemen, there's some questions um, that you'd like to ask Phil that you've always been embarrassed to do in the past, but now's your opportunity. Someone's got to be first. There must be someone out there. Good. Oh, right. OK. Cliff, our photographer for the evening.
1: Fantastic sp- uh, talk, Phil. Thank you very much. Um, the 125 Yamaha was 10-speed, did you say? 125? No, I, the think one it tw- was, it, I think it was 8-speed. Eight 8-speed? Eight yeah. And the 250? Um, I think that was 7, yeah. But, you know, when I first rode it, the, even the twin, the 250, I think it had 7 gears, and I was... I'd only ever been used to riding with 5 gears, but <coughs> But during the uh, the race, and I, I forgot about what which gear it was in. As so you go, well, oh, this corner is back one, or this one is back two. You just you just kept the revs in the power range, and that was the secret. You Just kept pumping them through, or down changing. And the the MVs were they fives or sixes? Pardon? The MVs, the 350 and the 500, were they five or six speed? I don't know about the 250. The 350. 350MV in five... I can't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> the only thing, they were quick. They were very quick. Any other questions, ladies and gentlemen? One right at the back. Um, Jim, you take that one first.
1: Hello, Phil. You spoke about many, many races you took part in. I think your greatest race was at Spa, when you did the lap record. So got, what did you say?
2: Spa. The Spa. greatest oh, What year yeah,
1: would that Spa. have been, Jim? I can't remember, I'm too old. Excellent, that's oh, I, good. Think...
0: <laughs> I like that one.
1: But the, that lap record that you made at Spa... In the 70s, yeah. It lasted a very long time, and I think that was your greatest ride. Thank you. Well, that, yeah, that's right, because I know we'd come from Assen, and i have been... Blown off there by uh, Barry Sheen and Ago and and to finish third and, and Spa and <coughs> I, I called Count of I said, "Look, just prepare a bike just for me and uh, t- to run at spa and uh, anyway I, I think I started on pole and uh, and there was Ago and Barry and a lot of the other top riders in the race and and I set off and uh, and I came through the start with about a 10 second lead, and uh, initially the crowd waved and uh, waved and clapped. and then they went silent, I was told, because now the bikes arrived, they thought there'd been a multiple <laughs> crash, and when they all the pack arrived down, they stood up again and clapped, yeah, and uh, and I managed to win quite easily there and set the absolute lap record and even a world record for the fastest, uh, the fastest uh, Grand Prix time, never. And uh, so, yeah, it was great. That and presented with a bouquet of flowers from, from one of the princesses of, 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 of Belgium, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: Belgium. Yeah.
0: Another question at the back here, Phil. Phil, I was in uh, Chloé in Hersham last night discussing that we, I was coming here and one of the boys was trying to convince me that you actually rode for Tom Kirby on his G50s and 7Rs. Is that correct?
1: Oh, yeah, Tom was great. I mean, he loaned me bikes, and he loaned all the riders' bikes. And, they were wonderfully prepared, though, weren't they? What? Wonderfully prepared. Oh, yeah, fantastic, yeah. Although we take them on the continent, obviously we'd have to prepare them ourselves. Okay. And also another was Tom Arter, loaned me two... Uh, Two bikes and two spare engines for my South African tour, which I went over there after winning the TT in the nine. So I arrived. I went on the Edinburgh Castle alone, with two bikes in the back of my Bedford dormobile, and two spare engines. And after the first couple of races, Gary Hocking was so much quicker on this 350 Seven R and HS uh, Seven R, and I found out he was running on methanol. So I I called Tom Arthur and said, "Tom, we need some high compression pistons." So within then a week, these came and we fitted them, and uh, and still, okay, it was better. I mean, I mean, it, 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 it's an incredible increase in well, incredible, but an increase in power, and I wasn't quite sure which jets to use. So, and I was actually working in in, in the garage with Hocking and Jim Redman, and knocking took a phone call, and he had his carb um stripped down and i undid the the main bolt and had a look at the main jet it was it was twelve hundred size twelve hundred. i mean you could have a, a have a bee go through it <laughs> so and redmond Redmond told on me, and uh, Gary was quite upset but uh, but still, okay still he was pretty good he'd, he'd he'd been working on this 7r with with, with a, his local rider bruce beale on the circuit there comparing the improvements they made with a standard 7r and he was quick i remember at peter Maritzburg, i decided in this handicap race to run my g50 and uh, because anyway I, I started last obviously with i think reb and uh, and I knew I could I could catch up Gary Hockey on this 350 seminar. Uh, and uh, as I passed Redmond, Redmond started uh, ahead of me, in actual fact. I was on last away. I was just passing Redmond from this fast right-hander, and, and the conrod broke. and, and uh, Which, obviously, <laughs> you can imagine what happened. I slid down the road into the dirt, head over heels, I was told that Redmond, as he went past, he went, ah, you beauty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, I, I did survive that. All I did was take the side off my face and a bit of concussion. But had I been in, in, in England, I'd have had a scar there. But in the sun and the weather there, I, I, uh, I survived without a scar.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, any more questions for Phil while I'm at the back of the room? There's bound to be someone at the One
2: front. one here, Steve. Phil,
0: I've got a question. Hold on just a minute, sir. Otherwise I won't be able to Phil won't be able to hear you. Everyone else won't be able to hear you. So. I'm a
1: bit Mutton. Mutton, yeah. There you go. Uh, Phil, it's a, it's a double sort of question. It, it, is the one bike that
0: stands out in all your, your riding career that was did absolutely everything you wanted it to do, and then the reverse of that is the one that stands out as being an absolute pig.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the absolute one was the, 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 the M1 of uh, Valentino's. I mean, that was incredible, incredible. But the pig was, um, was actually the John Player Norton. I mean, the uh, beautiful fairing, beautiful transporter, beautiful clothing. But they hadn't done anything to improve the engine for about 20 years. Um, you know, we're a bit down on speed compared with the, the Triumph and, and BSA triples, so we had to ride much harder. Uh, I think I survived; I didn't crash it, but we could have won more had they had they spent a bit of time re-engineering, improving um, that 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 Norton twin engine. The commando engine wasn't it they could have put four valves in it and uh, actually and shortened the the gearbox lay shaft um, i know we went to daytona and uh, um, to compete um, against you know the uh, the american teams which you know they're daytona specialists um, so anyway in, in the race I actually got into the lead, would you believe it, and uh, came into the pit stop, refueled, and uh, they stuck a funnel in and poured the petrol in. Uh, half of it went over me. Anyway, we, we lost, that was about 45 seconds to do that. And, and the Yamahas were in and out in 10 seconds, would you believe, with a quick filler woof, away. So um, that was lack of investment in the most important things and also it only had a single disc brake. And so obviously I had to catch up so, uh, into the first corner. Obviously I'm braking heavily and because it had only one disc, it twisted. And also they couldn't get the rear brake to work. It was a Mance Norton brake that they couldn't get to work. So obviously I had to let the brake off. I had no rear brake to, to steady me down. And I went on the, off the road a couple of times, got back in the lead again. And actually finished fourth, um, five seconds behind the winner, Don Emdy. So, had had it been better prepared, forget about these fancy fairings and transporters and red clothing and work on the the things that do matter. Like if I had a rear brake, I mean, uh, perhaps I'd have won the race. (laughs) Or a quick fella, for example, that's in and out in in, in ten seconds. That would have helped, but uh, yeah. So, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, you're doing well, Phil. I think we're going to c- call Q&A to an end. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Reid. Before, um, and also, again, Wendy, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. There's one person I'd like to thank. think, thank, um, person who's put all the slides together, Ray Gale.
2: Yeah. you. Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, don't forget, the for books are for sale the on the uh, table at the end there, okay? And as as
1: the here, I'm not much impressed with, uh, with Brooklands. I mean, it's got certainly a lot more commercialised um, compared with a go years ago. And it uh, attracts the, the, you, a wonderful group of, of people that love uh, to talk and hear about the old times, the good old times.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Before we go, the raffle.